Hi, and welcome to the podcast, Think Like a. It is sponsored by the Alabama Association for Gifted Children, or AAGC. The purpose of this podcast is to explore different professions and careers to see what it takes to be successful. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Farrell, and actually the current president of AAGC. We hope you will join us each month to listen to a conversation between myself and a professional. We will learn what skills are required to be successful and those educational requirements to be hired in that career and what you really do when you're in this job. If you have a suggestion of a career that you would like for us to feature, please send a note to alabamagifted at gmail.org or leave a message at the podcast on Anchor. Today, we are starting off with a very exciting guest. We have an astrophysicist from NASA. This is Mitzi Adams, who is the assistant manager of the Heliophysics and Planetary Science Branch. Welcome, Mitzi. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have an astrophysicist. We know as an astrophysicist, you you think a lot in abstract ideas. So you really have to have a lot of intelligence there to comprehend the abstractness. Um, as an astrophysicist, as, as the assistant manager um, of the Heliophysics and Planetary Science Branch, what does that mean? What do you really do? Well, I sit in front of my computer a lot. <laughs> well, sounds like a lot of jobs. <laughs> But, but basically, uh, as, as a scientist, my, my specialty is solar science. So I like studying the sun and the sun has magnetic fields and the magnetic fields store energy. And sometimes the energy that is stored there is released explosively. And we get things like flares coronal mass ejections. And, and in particular, there are some very small kind of flares or coronal mass ejections called jets that I've enjoyed studying in my career. As a manager or an assistant manager, there are day-to-day -day activities like answering questions from, from employees, um, like um, <laughs> signing off on time cards, um, like staying up to date lately on COVID protocols. And that some of those things are, are, are fun to do because I feel like I'm helping people. Um, and, and they're all scientists. So we get to interact with each other. We have a meeting once a, once a month where we talk about the things that we've done. And, um, you know, the, the science is engaging and exciting and actually being an assistant manager is not that bad either, except for some days. I, I can understand that. So you study the sun and then unlike a lot of other scientists, you don't get to be with the sun. You, you've got to study it at its distance and, you know, I think with what you've mentioned with those jets and the solar flares and things like that, you know, we all 
know a little bit about it. Has there anything that you have found when studying the sun that has surprised you? Actually, the the flares and the coronal mass ejections are are very large releases of energy. And when we began studying the jets, we discovered that the 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 mechanism the the the, the way that they're created is very, very similar to the way that the big guys are created. So there seems to be a lot of different variations in the sizes of the event, but the thing that causes them is, is very, very similar. Oh, wow. And that was oh, that, that is interesting. Um, could, I can imagine that you would have thought it would be different mechanisms that would have caused it. So yeah. that's got me thinking now. <laughs> so you're in a field where really it is dominated by men. As a woman coming into this field, did you have any barriers that you had to overcome? Well, let's start with my high school physics class. Okay. We had about um, 30 students and one female student, and that was me. And the instructor was not extremely welcoming, let's say. So that was my first encounter. And as I progressed, I heard things like, um, because at that time I said I wanted to be an astronaut and I was laughed at, you'll never be an astronaut. And I wasn't laughed at so much in science classes, but it was still unusual for a, a female to be in a physics class. And the college that I went to, a private college actually, in, in South and middle Florida. Um, when I started there, there were 2000 students and a hundred women. Mm. And that was somewhat difficult. Um, I, I didn't really feel left out exactly. Um, but it, it, it was the, the, the needs of the women students at that time were a bit different than the needs of the male students at that time. Um, and and an, another problem that I had around that time is that I worked as a technician, a lab technician actually, um, for Harris Semiconductor. And I got a raise um, for, from being in the, in the lab, doing lab work to being a technician in the lab. And, th and that was a big jump in, in prestige, let's say. Um, but the salary was not commensurate. <laughs> of course not. So, so my male counterpart was making quite a bit more than I was. Um, and, and then when I, when I uh, entered graduate school and began going to professional meetings, um, there were very few women there. That's changed quite a bit lately, Good. but uh, um, 
the the women that were attending those meetings at the time we banded together and and um, discussed issues and and talked about um, how to get more women in the field. Oh, great! Uh, hopefully, it'll be easier for uh, females following your path now. Did you have to have a certain degree to do your job? Yes and no. Um, I have a master's degree. A PhD is actually preferred, but because partly, I think partly because I uh, began working for NASA as a, a co-op student, that is, I was going to graduate school and working at the same time. Um, I think that wasn't so much of an issue, plus the fact that I actually did a thesis, I did a research thesis and defended it um, in front of quite a few people, actually. <laughs> um, but for the most part, to be a scientist at NASA, a PhD is required, a master's is definitely uh, needed, and a PhD is preferred. Okay, that makes sense. So in order to train for your job, so as um, maybe not even as assistant manager, if you want to include assistant manager, but actually working with heliophysics and the planetary science branch, how long does it train to really be able to do what you're required to do in that job? Well, um, I did four years of college and then um, I did, I, I guess it was, it, it actually worked out to be three, three years, I think, of graduate school because the way the co-op program usually works is that you uh, go full-time um, one semester or two and then work full-time one semester or two. So things are broken up a bit more. Um, so, so that was the first step. And then the next step, uh, and, and during that time, I was actually training to do my job because I was doing research. And so I had to learn to do computer programming in, in a specific language called interactive data language or IDL. And um, so I was, I was training to do that along the way. And the other thing that one has to do is to write a research paper um, summarizing results of a study and then uh, submit this to a publication and, and the, then one has to deal with uh, rejection because the, in almost in almost all cases, the first, the first time that you submit a paper to a publication, it's going to be sent back to you, maybe not rejected, but sent back to you with changes that need to be made before this paper can be published. And, and that was something I had to learn. I, I had no idea. But uh, so, so you have to kind of develop a thick skin. It's, it's nothing personal. It's just the science has to be rigorous and we check each other's work. And I don't know how many times I have looked at a, at, at a piece of paper with words on it that I've written 
and looked at it and proofed it and proofed it and proofed it and sent it off to somebody else. And they said, oh yeah, you got a misspelled word here. <laughs> so it, they find things that are, that are more important than misspelled words, but, but you have to go through this process and learn the process. So, so that was the sort of thing that, that I had to learn. And so all in all, I would say it took, it took, you know, three years to really go through the whole thing. And then to get into the kind of day-to-day -day activities of, of the branch and doing science, that was probably another year or two. Um, and one could become a manager at any point along that way. And I just decided really here at the end of my career that, that I should do that partly because it's a service to my branch. So other scientists, I'm, I'm helping to enable the other scientists in my branch to do their work, um, hopefully without as much issue and, and trial and tribulation. Well, how long have you been in the field of astrophysics? I began my, my co-op position here in March, 1988. So somewhere around 33, 34 years. Wow. You've seen a lot of changes take place. I have indeed. I have indeed. When I first began, there were two women in the branch. Now there's, um, uh, I'm, I'm only including the solar. So there's one, two, three, four, four women in the solar. Yeah. Out of, out of about seven. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're outnumbering the males at this point. <laughs> Woohoo. That is great. So you've mentioned that um, one of the qualities that you need is thick skin, not to take it personal. What other qualities are needed for someone to do your job? Uh, the first thing is curiosity. One needs curiosity to become a scientist. You, you will have to want to know how things work. Why is that the way it is? If I look at the sun and I see a dark spot on it, why is it dark? So curiosity is, is, a, is a major ingredient. I would say that was number one. And then number two is persistence. Because as you do your research projects, you begin with, with a hypothesis. Is this why it's happening? And as you go through the research, you may find out that your hypothesis isn't quite right. So you have to just keep plugging at it and you can't give up. That makes sense. So really, as an astrophysicist, you're researching and studying and trying to understand the hows and whys. Exactly. I don't know. I think for a lot of us, that would be fun. Um, <laughs> when did you know you wanted to be an astrophysicist? In truth, 
I'm not sure exactly what age, I, I can guesstimate, but from the time I was, oh, I don't know, seven or eight, I knew I wanted to be a scientist. I, um, I loved looking at the stars. We, um, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and there's a lake north of Atlanta called Lake Lanier. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, it wasn't extremely populated. And so I could, <laughs> on, on a summer's night, I could uh, go out into the middle of the road and just lay down and look up. And of course, the asphalt was nice and warm, so it was <laughs> and it was safe. Um, but uh, I, I I looked at the stars and I wondered what they were, and and why they were. And a friend of the family um, had a telescope, and so we would sometimes look through the telescope. And um, of course, around that time, a, a few years before that. The Mercury program began with astronauts actually going into space. And then the Gemini program followed that as astronauts began to train in, in orbit in preparation for going to the moon. And I was privileged to be able to watch the launch of Apollo 14 which um, also went to the moon with uh, Alan Shepard and Dr. Edgar Mitchell and Stu Rusa. And that happened because a couple of years before that, I met Edgar Mitchell, mm. where he was giving a, a, a talk. And I got up the courage to talk to him and had him sign the program, which mm -hmm. I wish I could find. But um, I stayed in touch with him. I started writing to him, and, and the, the silly man kept writing me back. <laughs> <laughs> but how exciting. It was, because then he sent me an invitation to the launch. And it was, it was it, you know, I was 14 years old, so I couldn't drive. And it was addressed, Mitzi Adams plus one. <laughs> so I, I asked my mother if she wanted to go and if she would drive me. And of course she said, yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, in, in that respect, I, I was still thinking I want to be an astronaut, but in truth, I, I was still, I, I wanted to be a science astronaut. And so I had to choose a, a specialty and I, I'd always been interested in rocks and geology and volcanoes and earthquakes. And so I, I, I kept toing and froing between geologist, astronomer, geologist, astronomer. And I finally decided, and I don't remember how old I was, but I finally decided that in order to be an astronaut, astrophysics or, or astronomy was probably the better choice because we weren't currently going, there wasn't a large planetary science contingent at that time. Mm -hmm. So once I made the decision, I stuck with it. But the, the other thing that influenced me was um, the Fernbank Science Center in Atlanta. 
They have a planetarium and a 36 inch telescope. And at the time, uh, it was built in 1967. And at the time, it was the third largest planetarium in the United States. Wow. And the observatory was the largest observatory in the Southeast. So I started going there when I was about, oh, I don't know, in the 10th grade. So 10th, 11th, 12th grade. So that was my Friday evening. And I was an observatory slash planetarium assistant at Fernbank on Friday nights for three years. And that, that was a, a, a great influence on, on my life. Oh, that is wonderful. Being able to start working in that field at such an early age. I wasn't paid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the experience and, and I definitely got that the experience and made some friends with whom I, I remain in touch. Oh, wow. So you mentioned the astronaut. Um, was he the one that really inspired you or who was your first, in, you know, the one who inspired you or what might've inspired you? He, he had a great deal of influence. That's true. But um, I have to say that probably the greatest or, or the initial spark um, had to be a couple of science fiction series. Ooh. There's one that was made in, in the early 60s or the late 50s. Um, and it, it was, it was um, if you watched it now, it'd be very hokey. But I, I loved it. And then there was, there was the movie, um, um, The Day the, the Earth Stood Still, An Angry Red Planet. And, and um, uh, then there was Star Trek. The original yes. series. Yes. And I wanted to be Mr. Spock, or at least his assistant. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. But I have to say, Nichelle Nichols was also a great influence. She was incredible. She may not have had a lot of screen time, but boy, did she have a lot of clout. <laughs> absolutely. And, and oh, I should ahead. say, Michelle Nichols is uh, played played the part of Lieutenant Uhura. She was the communications officer, That's and right. I always sit back now with the technology that we have, and I mean, I, I'm such a nerd when it comes to Star Trek that I'll have my my telephone and I'll go, this is like a, almost a tricorder. I can put different probes to it and it is a tricorder. Or now with our Apple earbuds, it's like I'm Lieutenant Uhura now. <laughs> so I, I just, I giggle about that, that, you know, it may be science fiction, but there is science behind it. And then they take it to future. So yeah, absolutely. What do you enjoy the most about your job? If I'm doing research, I, I think uh, uh, there, there are a couple of sides to that. Because in order to do my research, I do data analysis. And so I have to, I have to bring down the data 
and then I have to write computer codes to analyze the data. So a, a great joy there is, is running the code and having it work. <laughs> <laughs> so you, and, also, and, you also have to know how to do computer programming then. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I, I started out with um, the inter inter interactive data language, IDL, mm -hmm. and I had to learn to use that and to write programs. And there's some CAN programs that we use in solar physics, and, and so I can use those. Um, but then I, IDL um, has some issues, and so I, I started learning Python. And there's, there's a subset of Python called SunPy. And so it has some routines that are specific to data analysis of the sun. Oh, wow. And um, so, yes, you definitely have to know how to do some computer programming. You, you may not need to do a lot nowadays, but, mm -hmm. but you need to know how to manipulate packages and, and modules. Um, but yeah, so so that's 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 a great joy, is to have it work, and then get output, and then and then see something in the data that you really hadn't expected to see. So that's wonderful. Oh, that's exciting. So on the flip side, what do you dislike about your job? Writing proposals. Oh, so your so proposals are. Funding or presentations or what, or both? Proposals for funding. Um, the way it works, and I had to learn this too, the way it works is that you, you are hired by NASA to do research, but you are expected to write res research proposals that, that actually go into NASA. And then if successful, those funds are used to cover your time and or in, in other words, to pay you. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and if you don't, if you're not successful over a period of time in, in writing research proposals of one sort or another, and, and actually it's not this cut and dry, you have to, you have to be able to write a research proposal that's that's scored highly. It may not be funded, but it's scored highly. And so that, that puts you into, into the category of being a, a competitive scientist. And so from, from the funds that you get from that research proposal, then you get, you get a charge code <laughs> and, and you, uh, you charge to that, you charge your time to that code. Otherwise, okay. you're get, you're given sort of an interim charge code, um, and and that's the way it works. Wow, they they really keep you all competitive, and and uh, that I never would have expected that you'd have to write proposals to fund your research in in the sense that NASA wants you to. Interesting. There there are other other things. There there's directed work that comes from NASA headquarters and, and you get a charge code for that. Um, but, but 
Typically, the NASA research scientist is expected to write research proposals. Okay. So in your career and doing what you love, basically, what are you most proud of? <sighs> Interesting question. I think the thing that I'm most proud of it is, is my first paper. Ooh. Not that it was that good, but that I, I learned how to write it. I learned how, how to do research and, and report on that research in, in a, in a way that, that the research would be published. So somebody cares. <laughs> so I think that's the thing that I would be most proud of research wise. The second thing was the work that we did in preparation. And this is going to be a commercial uh, in preparation for the 2017 eclipse. Um, we, we, we did a lot. I, I did a lot of, uh, talks to, to groups about what an eclipse is and what to expect and whether you ought to drive an hour north of here to, to actually experience totality. And the answer to that is yes. <laughs> but we, we also partnered with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center to bring some of their students into the path of totality. And we did experiments with them. We actually took them to Austin P. State University in Clarksville and that there's a farm, they have a farm. So we went to the farm where we could observe the behavior of the animals. And so there were different groups of students who made different kinds of observations. And we also had telescopes set up and we're taking pictures of the eclipse. And we had, uh, NASA Marshall actually had two locations, one in, in Clarksville and another one up in Kentucky. And so we were actually featured as part of the eclipse goes across the United States. And so I, I'm very proud of the work that I did to organize that. And the, the, um, the advertising comes because there's gonna be another eclipse in 2023, which is just next year, um, October 8th. This will be an annular eclipse, which is not total, but it if you are looking at the sun with a telescope with appropriate filters, you see a ring of light around, around the edge of the moon, because of course the moon is in front of the sun. And that's why it's called an annular eclipse, it's creating an annulus of light. And then in April of 2024, there's going to be a total solar eclipse. Now, it's not gonna be as easy to get to as the 2017 eclipse, but we can still drive up to Kentucky and be in the path of totality or drive west towards Texas, which is probably where I'm gonna go because it's gonna be hopefully uh, drier on April 24th <laughs> than yeah. it might be in Kentucky. Uh, 
So that, that's my advertisement for the day. Oh, that is so cool. And thank you for the, the heads up on uh, what's coming in the way of um, how we can observe the sun at, with special glasses and filters, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. So for those aspiring astrophysicists or, you know, astronauts out there, what would you recommend for them to read or do to learn more about the career or to, to experience it? Well, actually, NASA has a lot of resources online and um, about to be released is a tool that one could use to learn about the different science possibilities, possible careers within NASA. And that's coming, I don't know, maybe February, March. Uh, so, so just Googling within NASA about um, NASA scientists. And there, there are a lot of, of pages about um, the, the scientists that actually work for NASA, something like Meet the Scientists. Um, and that is actually where I would start. Because from there, there are resources that you can follow for other ideas. And, and there are, there are uh, different divisions within NASA. There's the Earth Science Division. There's the, um, uh, the Science Mission Directorate, which includes heliophysics. And then there's the Planetary Science Division. So you could check earth science, heliophysics, planetary science, and there are perhaps, you know, scientist careers and all of those things, but, but they, they focus on different areas of, of science. And um, that, that would be a very good place to start. Oh, it sounds fascinating. It, so many careers and, and possibilities for students to choose and to think about. Is there anything else that you can think of that we didn't cover about your career that you would like to share? I think we covered most everything, I believe. <laughs> well, I am very excited. I'm a little jealous that I didn't get to go with all of you up to Tennessee to be and, and to be the scientists and to observe animals and and to see that, that sounds exciting. I have been with us. I, I believe one of your members, Beth Barrow. Yes. Uh, she was with us. Oh, we how exciting. Good, good. <laughs> I'm glad you put her to work. Uh, this is great. Um, Mitzi, thank you so much for actually being our first Think Like a guest. We are so excited to have an astrophysicist and someone who actually narrows the focus to the sun so thank you so much and uh, we hope to uh, see and hear from you in the future I know you're going to be doing a teacher workshop for us as well yes glad to be here thank you so much and uh, we'll be seeing you in the stars I guess okay Thank you for listening to our podcast, Think Like A. Please email us any suggestions for a career that should be featured on 
the podcast at alabamagifted at gmail.com. See you next month.